We'll join Pastor Phil now in Revelation chapter 9 to find out more. Uh, we, we learn, though, that Lucifer was originally created by God to be the top angel in heaven above all the others. He was the anointed cherub that covers, Ezekiel tells us. What does that mean? He was the top guy. He was in charge of all the other angels. He was the worship leader of heaven. He was perfect in wisdom and beauty, uh, in beauty until iniquity was found in him, and the iniquity was pride. He wasn't content being number two under the, under the Trinity. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. The same desire and lie he infected the human race with. Go ahead and eat the forbidden fruit, Eve. God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like him. You'll be like, a, you'll be like God. So the five eye wills of Satan that caused him to fall. Verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Hang on to that thought. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? You know, the first time we see the devil, and we're going to get a glimpse of him, I think, before he's cast into the lake of fire forever. But the first time we get a glimpse of the devil, we're going to be shocked. Is this the guy that caused all this trouble? Why? Why are we going to be shocked? Because he's what? Beautiful. He's not this ugly creature with this, you know, red pajamas on and, and uh, you know, pitchfork tail and so on. Yeah. He's a very beautiful being. And it's going to shock us to see something so beautiful could be so, so evil. Really. But in Revelation 12, verse 4, we learn that when Satan rebelled against God in heaven, he drew a third of the stars of heaven with him. That's a reference to angels. From that passage, we infer that when Satan led his rebellion in heaven, because he wanted to be like God, he wanted to overthrow God. He wanted to take God's throne. That a third of the angels in heaven followed him. They became fallen angels. When he fell, they fell. Fallen angels, demons. And so that's what happened before we came to chapter 3 of Genesis. By the time we come to Genesis 3, and uh, Satan takes the form of a serpent, and he deceives Eve, and she eats the forbidden fruit, and she gives to Adam, and he eats, and the human race falls. Well, sometime before Genesis 3, Satan had already led his rebellion in heaven. Now, even though he fell, and, and he was cast down to the earth in the sense that Uh, He was no longer the anointed cherub in heaven that covered. In other words, he was no longer the top angel. He was cast down to the earth. Earth became his domain. He became the God of this world, right? He still has access to heaven. He's no longer uh, overseeing 
the worship of God and the other angels. He's a fallen angel. He has been cast down to the earth, but he still has access to heaven. We know this from Job chapters 1 and 2. I'll just read to you from Job 1, verses 6 and 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's a reference to angels, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Satan is not not omnipresent, but he does get around quite a bit. And he's got a network of demons throughout the whole world where he doesn't have to be everywhere himself. He has a very sophisticated network of demons, and they have a supernatural way of communicating. We have cell phones, for goodness sakes. Don't you think demons can communicate all over the world instantaneously if they wanted to with each other? So, you know, but he gets around. He does. But we learn from Job that he still has access to heaven. Even though he's not up there anymore in, a, in an exalted capacity as worship leader and so on, he still has access to heaven. But there is coming a day, and it's going to happen about the midpoint of the last seven years, where he's going to be kicked out of heaven once and for all. For that, turn to Revelation 12. And we'll study this in more detail when we get there. But let's just read it. In Revelation 12, verse 7, now this is going to happen around the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent of old, excuse me, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they did not love their lives to the death. Speaking of the tribulation saints, how they overcame the devil's persecution at this time. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Kind of gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? See, at this point, the devil is and his angels, are they have access to heaven. But at this point, they are cast out for good. And they know that they've only got a short time left. Before what? I'll show you what in a moment. But they know their time is short. The devil comes down with great wrath. He is going to do everything in his power to do whatever damage he can do still. I mean, he knows he's going down, literally. And he wants to take as many people out with him as he goes. So he comes down and he vents his fury primarily against Israel against the Jewish people because it was through Israel that Messiah came, the one who would crush the devil's head. So he has great hatred for Israel. You can just see the anti-Semitism in the world. It's always been there. It's, it's, it's just, it's not even logical that this group of people have been hated the way they have been hated and persecuted throughout history. What have they actually done that they have warranted so much hatred and 
evil against them. It's, it's a demonic thing. It's, it's a demonic hatred. Anti-Semitism is a demonic hatred. And so the devil is going to come down. And anti-Semitism, the Jews have a saying, never again, never again, never again will we allow six million of our people to die in anyone's ovens. Never again. Unfortunately, I got news for him. This time that Satan gets kicked out of heaven and comes down to the earth to persecute all the people who love God, but primarily the Jews, the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble, when two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be killed again. Two-thirds. If there are 15 million Jews in the world, which many think that's about right, that's 10 million Jews. Hard for us to imagine. So the fifth angel now is getting ready to blow the fifth trumpet, which will bring more severe judgments upon the earth. So verse 1, the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The Greek word is abuso. Abuso. Uh, In the Greek, it literally means without depth. That's why it's called bottomless. The only place in all the earth where there could be a bottomless pit is in the very center of the earth. Because in the very center of the earth, every direction is what? Is up. So the only place there could be a bottomless pit in the entire earth is the very center of the earth. Now, verse 2 tells us that there is a shaft that leads from the surface of the earth all the way down to this bottomless pit called the Abuso. And obviously nobody has discovered where it is. I'm sure God has got it hidden. He knows where it is. At a specific time, he's going to allow this door of this shaft leading down to this bottomless pit to be opened. We're going to see that in just a moment. But the Abuso, or sometimes it's called the Abyss, is um, where the demons and Satan are going to be bound someday for the entire 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Now, we just read how that Satan, remember in Isaiah 14, verse 15? It talks about him being, uh, you shall be brought down to Sheol. Sheol is the uh, Hebrew word that, the Greek word is Hades. Uh, It's a place uh, in the earth, a holding tank, a place of incarceration. Uh, Sheol, Hades, they both mean the same thing, the grave. A place inside the earth where, where God has, uh, is going to keep people who have died not believing in Christ. Of course, uh, it's divided into two parts, Hades is. And we'll study this when we get farther into Revelation. Uh, there is a place of torment where unbelievers go. And there's a place called Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise, uh, where believers in the Old Testament went. Of course, the two are divided by a gigantic gulf, like a Grand Canyon kind of a thing. Now, when people died in the Old Testament, believing in Messiah and believing in the promises of a coming Savior and so on, like, you know, David, Moses, Daniel, and so on, they went into Abraham's bosom. It was a paradise, but they were prisoners there because Christ had not come to die for their sins. Therefore, technically, their sins had not been forgiven. So Jesus had to come and die first. And the Bible says that, uh, remember what Jesus said? As uh, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man is going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
talking about going down into the earth. Now, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that before Jesus Christ ascended back to his Father, he first descended, after he died on the cross, into the lowest parts of the earth, set the captives free. So today, that place is now empty. Abraham's bosom in Hades is empty. Because Paul the Apostle tells us, as Christians, for us to die now, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. So there's no point in us going, purpose in us going into a holding tank. Christ has died for our sins. When we receive Him, they are washed away. We go immediately, soul and spirit, to be with the Lord, and our body catches up later at the rapture. But demons and the devil himself are going to be cast into the abuso for a thousand years. When we come to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, we read that specifically about the devil. Of course, his demons will be going with him also. Their final place of torment will be the lake of fire, or what we call hell. That's even after the thousand years. Now, this abuso is a place that demons, for whatever reason, are terrified of. They're terrified of going there. They're not there right now. I mean, most of them are on the earth working their evil and so on, like the devil. But remember when Jesus came to the area of Gadara, around the uh, Sea of Galilee? And there were a couple of, of, of uh, men who uh, were uh, demon-possessed, and they lived out in the tombs, you know, because they were so violent, uh, they couldn't be around people at all. In fact, the men of the city had tried to chain them a couple of times, but they were so strong with all this demon strength that they just broke the chains. One of them was especially demon-possessed, and when Jesus approaches him, he says to him, what is your name? Speaking to the demons inside of him. And they said, we are a legion because there were many demons in him. We find out later uh, at least 2,000. You can imagine that. But you'll find this in Luke chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. And in verse 31, it says, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Look, please don't send us to the abuso. Let us go into the herd of swine. Jesus said, okay. All the demons, you know, went in and possessed the swine, and they ran down the hill and drowned in the sea. And we say with tongue-in-cheek, that was the first case of deviled ham or suicide. Take your pick, all right? All right, all right. Don't get hostile now. Suicide, that's right. Now... As I said, the demons and the devil himself are going to be someday chained in this abuso. However, today, right now, there are a group of angels, fallen angels, demons, that are so evil, they have been chained up in the abuso even as we speak. They are down there right now. Uh, In 2 Peter 2, verse 4, Peter said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. Bad translation. It's not really hell. The Greek is Tartarus. The only time in the New Testament that Greek word is used. And in classical Greek, it was used to refer to the lowest hell or the lowest compartment of Hades or, as we read in Isaiah chapter 14, the lowest pit. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And then he goes on. What is Peter talking about? What are these angels that sin, that God cast them down into this lowest part of the pit? 
for the judgment of the great day. Well, turn to Jude. Let's look at this. In Jude, there's only one chapter, so turn to verse 6. Because Jude says exactly what Peter says, but he kind of expands it a little bit, gives us a little more insight into what happened. It says in verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So this is interesting. Jude tells us that certain angels did not keep their proper domain. What is the proper domain of an angel? Heaven, right? These angels did not keep their proper domain, but left it to come down to where? The earth. And to go after strange flesh. What's strange flesh for an angel? Human flesh. What is he talking about? I mean, that sounds so bizarre. What is he talking about? Well, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Because in Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass... When men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. This is a very controversial section. A lot of people think what's going on here is you've got the sons of God, which was the godly believing line of Seth, intermarrying with the daughters of men, which was the ungodly line of Cain. And so what you have here is believers marrying unbelievers. I have a problem with that. It doesn't begin to address what's going on here. First of all, you're talking about the sons of sons of Seth. What about the daughters of Seth? Uh, the daughters of you know Cain. What about the sons of Cain? It doesn't really answer what's going on. What did I just tell you sons of God in the Old Testament is a reference to? Angels, right? Angels. What do we have here? We have a situation where, as God pronounced in Genesis chapter 3, that someday he was going to send a redeemer. This redeemer, the devil would bruise his heel, but the redeemer would crush the serpent's head. When Satan heard that, he said to himself, there's no way anybody's going to crush my head. So he unleashed a preemptive strike to try to thwart the plans of God. And what he did was he figured that it was through Abel that this Redeemer was going to come, so he moved in the heart of Cain to to kill his brother. Of course, it wasn't through Abel, it was through who? That the Redeemer was going to come? Through Seth. And then later on, of course, we learn Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and then David, and so on. The Messianic line. But the devil thought, if I can attack uh, this line that the Messiah is going to come from, if I can kill the person who's going to bring forth this Messiah, then I can keep him from coming and crushing my head. 
I can win. So his demons, these fallen angels, the sons of God, came down to the earth, and they cohabitated with human women. People say, I don't understand how that's possible. Look, I don't either, but I'm not an angel. I don't know what angels are capable of. We read here, though, that the sons of God came to the earth, took the daughters of men to be their wives, and and had sex with them, and they bore them children, and the result was what? Giants? The Hebrew was Nephilim. It's fallen ones. These were men of renown, the Bible says. Who was a in the Old Testament a man of renown? Goliath. You know, Goliath, there were giants in on the earth in those days. Before the flood and even after the flood, the Bible tells us. These giants were not normal human beings. First of all, they were very large. And archaeology has pointed as uh, proven this. Uh, they have uncovered some very large skeletons, okay? But if you read the Old Testament, Goliath and his brothers had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. I mean, there was something wrong with these guys, something different about them. And I believe what was going on here is that the devil tried to contaminate the human race with demon seed. So Messiah could not be born. How could Messiah be born from a line contaminated with a demon seed? So he tried to preemptively contaminate the human race to the point where Messiah could not come. He could not be born. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, you can imagine. The earth was full of demons, half man, half demon creatures. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. That phrase, perfect in his generations in the Hebrew, could be translated, was uncontaminated in his genealogy. It could be, yes, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. How do we find grace and favor in God's eyes? Through what, our works? No, through our faith, right? Noah was a believer. Apparently, he was the only believer, him and his family, on the whole face of the earth. That's kind of frightening to think out of how many, probably billions of people, that Noah and his family were the only ones who are still believing in God. The devil had so corrupted the human race. In fact, it says earlier that all flesh had corrupted itself in the face of the earth. But Noah was uncontaminated in his genealogy. And so God spared Noah and his family to start over again because the devil had tried to contaminate the human race. And these angels that didn't keep their proper domain, but came down to the earth in an effort to thwart the plan of God and having sex with human women, creating these fallen creatures, these Nephilim, God took and he chained them in the lowest pit until the judgment of the great day. Now that could mean one of two things. It could mean the ultimate judgment that's coming when they're cast into the lake of fire, or it could mean a judgment that we're going to read about in a second. But it's interesting what Peter says, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, if we looked at all of human history as a war, 
being fought in the spirit realm between the forces of God and the forces of the devil to first of all keep Messiah from coming so that he couldn't redeem the world and destroy the devil. And now, after Jesus Christ has come, lived, died, arisen, and ascended back to his Father, now the devil, of course, wants to just take as many people down with him as possible. It's all about spiritual warfare. I wish more people, more Christians would understand that as Paul said, we are in a war. I mean, we are in a real live war that we don't even realize many times because it's invisible. And yet it's very real. But in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18, Peter said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water or through the waters of judgment in the ark. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.